Welcome to That's Awesome ID. My name is Leslie Early, and each week I will be speaking with a different guest and learning about one thing they think is awesome in the field of instructional design. Okay, today I have Asha Muhammad in the house. Thank you for joining me, Asha. Thank you for having me, Leslie. I'm excited to be here. Yay. Um, So Asha is an instructional designer and e-learning developer at Fredrickson Learning, and she also volunteers as a board member on the PACT board, which is a really awesome um, organization here locally in Minnesota. And we've had a couple of people from PACT on this show. We've had Stacey Salinas and we've had Brenda Peterson. So if I'm forgetting anybody else, I feel terrible about that. But (laughs) that's also awesome, Asha, that, you know, at at your age, I mean, you're relatively new to this field that you were like, yeah, I'm just going to jump on the board of PACT, like no big deal. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think PACT has just been such an important organization in me finding L&D and, you know, in my journey in it. So I just was like, no, why not? Might as well contribute back to something that I enjoy and that introduced me to the field. Yes, I think that's super smart. And <laughs> what a great way, yeah, to enmesh yourself in like the community of learning and development here in the Twin Cities. Super, mm-hmm. super smart. But uh, we are not really here to talk about PACT. We're here to talk about you, Asha, because really, to be honest, you're my youngest coworker. I hope you don't mind me saying that, but you know, you're relatively young for someone who's in this field of learning and development. And, you know, we work together at Fredrickson Learning. And despite your age, you know, you came in, you're super serious about learning and growing in in, the, in your position as an instructional designer and developer. And I mean, obviously, you've joined PACT as a board member. And, you know, you're just you're just a great coworker. And I would say that, you know, even if even if you were older, but, you know, essentially, I just think you're totally awesome, which is why I brought you on to That's Awesome ID. But I'm curious, I know a little bit about your story, but I'm curious, you know, how did someone in your position with with your level of experience, how did you find your way into L&D? Because it's usually not something that people jump into right out of, you know, their undergraduate degree. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. So yeah, I found L&D in a way that a lot of people do by accident. Um, <laughs> and it was a basically, so I, I in, in college, I tried on a lot of different hats. I actually began studying education with an interest in teaching diverse multicultural learners, um, specifically elementary education. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I got the chance to become a teacher's assistant um, in the education department uh, for a class about storytelling in multicultural America and kind of got to see what it was like in a classroom setting, grading papers and the like. And so I enjoyed so much of that experience, but it was a lot of intense work. And so I found myself drawn to going into this field of technical writing. And Mm. so that was my second hat. (laughs) Um, So I became a technical writing and communications major and joined the um, University of Minnesota's TCAB program, which is the Technical Communications Advisory Board program for mentorship. And that's where I met Christina Jung, who introduced me to PACT. And so Mm. that's a little bit of my little path of accidents that got me to learn about instructional design and learn about the field of learning and development. And so I think my very first 
point where I started to fall in love with learning and development was the very first PACT meeting that I went to, which was about um, XR. So it was a it was a, basically a, a talk about augmented reality and virtual reality. Um, and so I remember just kind of sitting in, completely unaware college student of what this entire field was. Yeah. And so that was kind of my first introduction of the potential, like the future potential of where this field could go. And so doing my own research of, and, you know, talking with my mentor and learning about what, what skills really make a good instructional designer, what skills make some, make somebody fit for this field is the intersection of, of teaching, of, of design, of writing, of, you know, strategizing. Mm-hmm. And I found that it kind of fit my skills really well. Um, yeah. And I, I remember uh, saying that like I had, cause so many people in, in learning and development go from education into in, um, learning and development. And so mm-hmm. I kind of had that mini teacher to L and D pipeline, like in college. All of <laughs> Right. You did like the, um, the abbreviated version of that. <laughs> Yeah, so it does sound like you had, you know, I like that you called it your mini teacher to L&D pipeline because I feel like you're right. This is a this is a path that a lot of us take. It sounds like you did have some experience being in the classroom a little bit, and so maybe you realized at a early age <laughs> that's not the right place for you, which I didn't hit until I was about 10 years in. But um <laughs> It sounds like you're 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 relatively happy kind of doing what you're doing. I mean, at least it seems that way. I can't I can't put words in your mouth, but it seems like you're enjoying what you're doing. Oh yeah, definitely. So, now that you've kind of been in this role for, you know, it's not quite a year, coming up on a year, April, right? Is that right? Did I remember that? Yeah. Right? Yeah. April a is a year for you. So, so far what have you enjoyed most about, you know, this new world of L&D? What have I enjoyed most? I have, like you were saying, I've, I really, really enjoy this field. Um, I think working with Fredrickson and, you know, seeing and networking with so many people in PACT, I've really got to see the best sides of L&D and have been really immersed in the community in um, the Twin Cities. So my favorite parts of L&D will have to be, like I was saying, what really inspired me to really want to learn a lot about the potential and the future of L&D was XR. And so I've become kind of a little bit of an enthusiast. I recently got a virtual reality headset um, for my mm-hmm. birthday and mm-hmm. it was the most perfect present anyone can give me because I have been really intrigued and interested in learning about how uh, immersive kind of reality can lend itself to a learning experience specifically with high-risk industries like surgery, you know, um, aviation. You know, it, it's very much used in aerospace. And I feel like those, I don't know much about it yet, um, but, I, you know, I recently joined the uh, XR LXD meetup group. Um, yeah. Thank you for letting me know about it and reaching out about it because I really was inspired by that entire world and um, the possibilities that it can create. Yeah, and so that's one of the one of the things that I, I like the most about, you know, L and D. It's not something I have a lot of experience in, but I, I really would like to learn more about it. Yeah, me too. 
<laughs> I'm in the same boat with you. I think there's just so much potential there for um it's just a different it's just a different strategy. It's a different kind of learning that you can get um in that type of immersive environment than you can from learning, you know, through a book or through your computer or through your phone. Not that those things aren't also valid. I mean, we are not we didn't get rid of books, right? Just because we have computers. Right. Um so I think we're not going to get rid of everything else, but it's nice that I think it's really cool, this new, whole new dimension that is opening up for certain types of learning. So I'm right there with you. Okay. Yeah, it definitely does feel like a new dimension. I think just exploring it. I know that you're also somebody who really enjoys gaming. And mm -hmm. I feel like um, for me, I think the times I learn the best are when it feels less like a chore and more like a game. And I feel right. like, especially when it comes to um, learning that requires a simulation of some type, I feel like, you know, especially with like VR, even AR, and it, it just feels like a whole new tool for us to use to enhance the learning experience. And I feel like it's an option. And I think it's, it's a really cool option. Yeah. And like now, now you're making me, I mean, this is not part of our prepared questions, but you're making, you're sending my brain down a different avenue of like, I hate to make you the spokesperson of your generation, <laughs> but <laughs> it makes me think, I mean, so much is being said right now, you know, about Gen Z and, you know, how they interact with technology. What is it about XR, aside from like, yes, this is a good way to learn, do you think learning would be more accessible for younger people if it was in these other Medium. So like if it was an AR experience or a VR experience, do you think that would be more appealing to younger people? Like I feel like a total grandma asking that question. <laughs> um, I think that's a great question. Um, well, I'm going to do my best to like answer that from my perspective. Um, I feel like when it comes to VR, I feel like it's hard to say whether or not things are accessible just because of you know, the price point of a VR headset right. and it's a little bit of a, a niche world that's not really as accessible to the, you know, the global audience, even if, you know, young people, especially. Um, and I think, but when I, when it comes to AR, I feel like I, I do see, I mean, I guess it comes to like a definition of AR, but I do think when it comes to, when it comes to AR, I think of the ways that it, it has involved and in, it's been involved in my life, um, especially mm -hmm. with social media and immediately my brain goes to like Snapchat filters mm -hmm. that um, will change your face and um, introduce like cartoons or make you look like 20 years older, 20 years younger, and all of these like cool tools. I know TikTok also has a huge number of like cool things that you can do when it comes to like your camera and your, you know, yourself or like, you know, videos you can make using just kind of. And that's what I think of when I think of augmented reality. I don't know if that's accurate. Is that is that something you would consider? Yeah, augmented? yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like um, that has been really, I think, a central part of my generation, I feel like, development in the, in the tech world, I feel like. It's something that's kind of accepted as mainstream. Yeah. And just like ideating, I feel like when it comes to even Zoom, I know that there's been a lot of like, you know, 
use a filter and now you can make yourself a talking mouse like or things like that it's or talking potato like I feel like things like that just add a level of whimsy to um, learning in general and I feel like when it comes to learning the the most important thing from like what I know this far in in my journey of like being an O&D professional Mm -hmm. is it's really about engagement and, and really you know conveying a message um, and conveying uh, knowledge or getting people to practice things. And I feel like when it comes to catching the attention of people who are like Gen Z age, like we have a lot of things fighting for our attention nowadays. (laughs) And so, yeah, immediately I think like whatever will help compete with all of the other appealing things is, is a good thing. And I think can really help engage people, especially with, the short attention spans that we have nowadays, especially me. Like I have the shortest attention span in the world. (laughs) Well, and then that brings me to another topic of you brought up TikTok. And I have to say, I'm not, listen, I'm a, I'm an old lady at this point. Like I, (laughs) I've known about TikTok since back in the day when it was called musically because my niece was like on it. So I know it's been in my periphery for quite a long time, but like, I'm not on it. I don't have Instagram. I don't even have Facebook anymore because like, I mean, let's not get into that conversation. (laughs) But but I have seen, you know, there are a lot of people out there who are making a case for like using TikTok as a learning tool. Like, you know, because essentially those, you know, 30 second, 60 second videos or even shorter People are out there doing like YouTube style tutorials, but like doing it in a 30 second clip. Mm-hmm. And and so essentially that is micro learning, right? That's the yeah. definition of micro learning. So, I mean, do you, do you learn things on TikTok? Do you go there like the way All that I might go to YouTube time. and look something up? All the time. I... I feel like TikTok is something I know that you don't use it, Leslie, but you need to make a TikTok account. Like you need to go see <laughs> at least what's going on over there. Like there is such a I know TikTok, there's so much to be said about, you know, like the, the platform itself and like the ways that it, you know, will really customize itself, the feed will customize itself to your preferences and things that you like and take information of what you're interacting with the most. Um, Mm -hmm. But I, from my own experience um, of using TikTok, I learned so much from it. Um, And I think that is one of its appeals is like it's communicating information in such a concise, short way that it really will get across quickly. And I think even, you know, asking, if you ask someone, for, for example, like, explain this topic in 60 seconds. I feel like that's a good challenge to really, for them to really cut down on what's important and essential in that Mm -hmm. specific topic. And I feel like that is always interesting to see what will be communicated. And so I don't, I know that um, there's so many ways to use TikTok and I know that not all of them are educational, but I I haven't heard of, of TikTok being used in that way as micro learning, but that is such a cool idea. And I feel like that is definitely worth pursuing. I have to think about who specifically has been posting about this. Like on LinkedIn, I feel like Vanessa Alzate has been posting about this. She's also a former guest. She was a previous guest uh, a long time ago, but, um, and then I think also Myra Roldan is 
this oh cool talking about this so yeah it's out there in the ether that you know people are talking about using tiktok in this way and i think it's the same way i feel about youtube of like i understand how like hobbyists and Mm -hmm. even like freelancers or entrepreneurs can use this in that way but i haven't quite wrapped my head around how like companies or organizations can use it Mm -hmm. right because it seems to be it's like such a public platform oh yeah yeah. (laughs) not that you can answer that (laughs) well I mean I can I can definitely give my perspective and I see that it's like a lot of companies use TikTok to gain like just for marketing to gain you know eyes Mm -hmm. on their product um to like kind of interact with their audience and I think I don't see it as much being used as like a training tool and I feel Mm -hmm. like that is something that is like a definite gap. Um, I know that there's so many people who have put, there are so many people who put um, educational content out, but a lot of them, like you were saying, are hobbyists. Um, and I follow a lot of historical um, TikTokers where they talk about mm. um, weird niche his- history and like, they'll just like go through the story. I feel like a lot of podcasters use TikTok to promote their, um, so that's like an idea, but like <laughs> <laughs> a lot of podcasters do like, kind of sum up some of their episodes and put it on TikTok. Um, and so, yeah, that is so cool. I'm definitely going to follow up on that. That's such a cool idea. And I'm yeah. probably going to keep an eye out too now, now that I'm using, I use TikTok a lot for like entertainment, but now have, seeing that it's intersection with L&D, I think it's going to help me have a little bit more of a critical eye. That's why I was curious. Like, do you use it for learning? And you said you definitely do. You didn't even hesitate. Like, (laughs) for a second. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Because I, the reason why I immediately was saying yes is because there are some um, instructional designers who make content about instructional design on uh, TikTok. And so I do follow them. It's a very small amount of people. Right. Yeah. But I do follow them and I learned so much about instructional design from these different um, you know, TikTok leaders. I learned about design in general. Just like any topic you could possibly think of, it's there. Which I think is one of its drawing factors of why it's one of the most popular um social yeah. media platforms nowadays. And because it does it keeps your attention. Like it, it does, because it's so short. Yeah. yeah. Such yeah. short, short, short videos, and it's very, very stimulating. And so, yeah, I saw that there's this one quote that really sticks with me that I learned from one of my um, classes on media communications, and it was um, that right now we live in abundance of information, but a poverty of attention. Yeah. And so there are just so many pieces thrown at us that it feels like what we need more than anything is not more information, but curation and guidance when it comes Mm -hmm. to that information and how to interact with it. Yeah. That quote was like a little bit more eloquent, but I've also heard about, you know, we're living in an attention economy, like, (laughs) like everyone, there's a supply and demand issue happening of like information and attention. Right. Oh yeah. Um, but now this is so not where we were going to go with this episode, <laughs> no, but it's it so <laughs> interesting that I'm just going to keep us going down this rabbit hole. So I guess if if TikTok is like the, the extreme, you know, micro bites, bite-sized information, right? Like so short, yeah. that's one extreme of the spectrum. But 
there's also, you know, it's really a spectrum because there's podcasts. We're on a podcast. My podcasts are like 20 minutes long, but there's mm-hmm. some podcasts that are like an hour or longer. There's YouTube series that are like people will sit there and watch like a live stream. What is that? What is that called? The one where it's the live stream of the D&D. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I do. <laughs> what is that called? Why It's not coming to my mind right I, now. I could not tell you. But I do know what you're talking about. It's driving me crazy. Okay, well, I'll have to look it up later. But so, yeah, but that's like people will sit there and watch a live stream of like four to five hours of people playing a tabletop D&D game. Mm -hmm. And granted, they're professional voice actors. So I'm sure it's like not – it's interesting to them. Mm -hmm. But like those are two very opposite extremes. Like Mm -hmm. do you find yourself consuming – other long form content still again I'm just putting on my grandma glasses and asking you this as if like you don't I'm sure you do but like (laughs) I I do and I think that for me it's like my niche niche interest like you know when you have just like a a one topic or a couple topics that you can hear and listen to for hours on end and I feel like everyone has those things for themselves like we're like Mm -hmm. I know for 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 my dad, he could sit and watch the news for like ever, you know? Right. <laughs> and for me, it's like, you know, I love watching like uh, social commentary videos. So like I'll watch like hour long social commentary videos about, you know, current events um, or, you know, just like game like, vid- like video, video essays and st- video essays. Mean? Yes. That's exactly what I mean. I love watching video essays. So there just be like a, like just very, very like, about some random pop culture piece like conspiracy or something like that but I'm like okay mm-hmm. this is I don't know what where they're gonna go with this but I need to know and I feel like um there everybody has those things but I think when it comes to like for me like sitting through long movies or like it's really hard I think sometimes you have to really step away from the, you know the computer step away from like all screens and just really try to get your levels of dopamine a little bit down um, of just, right. you know, being exposed to all these stimulating things. And I know that for me, I do struggle with like, you know, screen addiction sometimes where I just like have this desire to just look at my phone or like look at my computer screen and just constantly be, you know, exposed to new information. I think that that is also one of the times back way back to our conversation about VR I feel like this is one of those things that make people kind of stray away from VR and stray away from um, even more immersive types of technology because of the, because of the possibilities of like addiction to it. And yeah, it's like a whole separate topic of just, that is a very valid concern. I think, especially with all of this screen time that we are experiencing because of, you know, everyone being indoors. Well, I mean, the pandemic, (laughs) yeah, not everybody is indoors, but you know, of just have us having a lot more time on our hands indoors. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned that because, um, this, this sort of fear of one more thing that's, you know, one more instance of screen time. Um, the people, a couple of people that I've talked to who are designing for XR, they, they don't seem to have that fear at all. In fact, they're like, Oh, the, one of the big limitations for designing for XR or particular VR where you're wearing a headset is that people don't want to be wearing a headset for, you know, hours and hours on end because it can get uncomfortable. So, so really they're like, you know, 
and I don't know because I haven't done it myself, so I don't know if this is really a true thing or if this is just kind of an accepted thing in the industry, but like, you know, 20 minutes is the max of like designing your lesson so that you're not keeping people in these headsets or expecting them to be in headsets for a really long time. But I wonder if that will change, you know, if headsets get more Mm -hmm. comfortable in the future, (laughs) who knows? Who knows? Yeah. And I know that they're becoming like smaller and easier to wear. And I know even me, like I completely understand what you're saying about um, like virtual reality headsets being difficult to wear for prolonged periods of time. I know I get like sometimes motion sick even like wearing Mm -hmm. it for too long. Um, And so that is a good case for like why they're, I mean, at least with the the headsets we have now of why probably it's more difficult to stay in that immersive space for too long. Yeah. So, wow, we've gone on a real (laughs) journey here. So, but no, I just feel like it was very interesting to hear your perspective on all these things because you have grown up in a totally different a different mm-hmm. culture, especially as far as learning, as far as like using devices. Like oh, I'm yeah. the grandma here that's like we had like modems to dial up to the internet and like it took me <laughs> three minutes to download a single JPEG file. So <laughs> like um, I, I do still feel the screen addiction stuff, but I assume it's probably not as strong for me as it is for someone who like was raised in this, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think for me, I, I grew up a little bit in that time of like, you know, dial up, but I also got to experience like I was using laptops when I was in um, elementary school, I'm pretty sure. Wow. Like, wow. and not like too early, but like maybe like fifth grade. I feel like it was, you know, I grew up with technology and I think it's a completely new thing. Like, I think we don't understand the implications of, a whole generation growing up with this new world that we live mm-hmm. in that's online. It's it's so, I always think about it. Like this is one of those things that I think about constantly of like down the line, what, what things will we discover about how the brain works when it comes to the internet and social media and these just really stimulating things. It's, but even VR, like all of this whole world of technology, it's so, it's really groundbreaking, but really new and kind of mm-hmm. undiscovered, un- unexplored and how it might affect us. Yeah. And like, we're still, you know, there's still the buzzword of the metaverse out there, but it's kind of what we're discussing. Like mm-hmm. the metaverse is not just like, you know, okay, I put in, I put on a VR headset and I'm, I'm in the metaverse now. It's like, no, like we've already sort of, you know, it's a slippery slope. We're already sort of there with the Snapchat filters you're talking about, um, having all the apps talking to each other and integrated with your home and like, you know, all the internet of things, like all of that stuff is the metaverse. Cause all the metaverse really means is like, we are bridging our physical selves with our digital selves. And like, I, I definitely have a digital self. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> even if I don't have an avatar, I know who my digital self is. I know the rules of that world, what I can say, what I can't say, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. You know, like we're already existing in that and, and just putting it in VR, that's just taking it one more step. But like we oh, sort of already there, you know? <laughs> yeah. I yeah, I completely see what you're saying. It is really kind of just one more step beyond what we already have because right now it's kind of an undefined reality. So 
I guess, you know, we really, if we had to sum up what this was all about is like, we're really just talking about, you know, the changing landscape of information out there and how we consume information. And, um, it was very, it was very helpful to hear your perspective on it as a, as a person who's basically new into the workforce in general, but also new to the field of L&D and also having the perspective of being, you know, someone who's kind of grown up in a different information age Mm -hmm. (laughs) than the rest of us in this field. Um, So it's just been super helpful to hear your perspective. So thank you for sharing. Yeah, no problem. This was such an interesting discussion. I know this completely went off track, but like this is really, really insightful. Well, thank you, Asha, again so much. I really appreciate this discussion. It was super fun walking down these rabbit holes with you a little bit. Um, if people wanted to reach out to you and, you know, pick your brain about anything um, or continue the conversation, where could they connect with you? Yeah, um, you can always connect with me on LinkedIn, Asha Mahamud, A-S-H-A-M-O-H-A-M-U-D. I am happy to connect, um, and I think especially with people who are interested in the field, I am happy to chat or, you know, yeah, talk. Awesome. All right. Well, again, thank you so much. I hope I didn't sound too much like a grandma through this whole conversation. Not at all. (laughs) We're like, when I was your age. Um, Okay. Anyway, thank you so much, Aja. Have a good night. Thank you. You too.